Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Tom Willard, Managing Director and Head of Europe for Edge Technology Group. Edge Technology Group is a global consultancy and fully managed IT service provider exclusively representing firms within financial services. Tom, hello. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? What does the word leader mean for, to me? Um, it means many different things to many different people, but um, to me, it's someone that can influence, positively influence a group of people, um, align them to a common goal, um, and, and, and serve them whilst executing for four customers. Um, my, my journey here at Ed, Edge has actually been quite an interesting one. And um, <clears throat> I, I really found my passion here at Edge because like so many other people, I think in leadership roles, my, my, my life, my professional life prior to Edge Technology Group was one that I'd kind of fallen into in all honesty. Mm. Um, but eight and a half years ago, I was given an opportunity to extend a U.S. company uh, to the UK and, and beyond. And it was an opportunity, it was my first opportunity to really run a business as opposed to running a team. Um, and when I, when I, when I came into this position eight and a half years ago, I was, I was pretty naive in all honesty to all of the responsibilities that I would have, um, both exposure to and be held accountable to. But over those eight and a half years, I really found my passion. And what I've learned is that despite the senior tech positions that I've held um, at CTO level for hedge funds over here in the UK, what I found, my passion actually isn't technology. Um, my passion is people. And when I made that discovery, probably really about three and a bit years into my journey with Edge, things really started to change because with the group of people I had working for me at that moment in time, <clears throat> They were very smart. Um, they were very plugged into the community. Together, we set out our vision for what we wanted the company to be. Um, we set out our vision for what we wanted the, the company to be like in terms of, quite frankly, professional fulfillment and, and what gets us up in the morning. And we set out our vision based on customer feedback for um, what we wanted the customer to be for the client community. And, and, and together, we set outcomes and goals to achieve that vision. And so it's been quite the journey. Well, you actually mentioned an interesting point. Can you hit on some of the differences between uh, running a team and running a business? I mean, running a team versus running a business, I mean, there's, there's many similarities. And I, I took some of those, obviously, into, into day one, month one, year one of running a business, not least because it was just me sitting in an office on my own with, with no staff and no customers. And if you, um, if you kind of compare that to where we are today, um, outside of the US, our international business, we, we have over 100 staff now and over 250 customers. So very, very different. But taking it right back to day one, I, I guess this comes back down to my prior point about being slightly naive to the position. Because I made that realization quite quickly, I wanted to use some of the same 
I guess, logic that I'd been exposed to in, in prior leadership positions when running teams to the role here at Edge. And so I wanted to build a company that was, uh, that was self-sufficient. Um, I wanted to build a company that could scale and accommodate growth. And I wanted to build a company that in due course would continue um, beyond my tenure if I ever chose to step down or if the, 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 the shareholders decided to, um, to, to make that decision for me. And so I used a lot of the same behaviors that I'd used in teams before. Um, to build a very close-knit community around me and the firm in in that first inception phase, I guess, one of a better phrase. And it was about building camaraderie. Um, it was about trying to influence and inspire people. Um, I like using the word orchestrate rather than manipulate. Obviously, if you try and manipulate a group of people towards a common goal, mm. um, you're, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I wanted to make sure that I understood what the, the the personal aspirations were as much as the professional aspirations were within that initial group of people um, and, 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 and really aligning that to the firm-wired vision so that through um, professional fulfillment, ultimately through the work that they were doing, we, we could achieve it together. And the mantra that, I mean, there's, there's many great individuals that I've, that I've come across over the last eight and a half years and some slightly before when I was running teams, um, Ray Dalio, Tony Robbins, Simon Sinek, the, 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 the many, many individuals that many people will be familiar with. But the, the tagline that, that we really kind of stuck and held on to re- in, in the early days was um, meaningful work and trusted relationships. And the latter, trusted relationships, is something that I think is, um, is common ground, whether you're running a team or running a business. And of course, we have to remember at any scale, what we're dealing with are humans. And we tend to forget that when we're managing uh, large groups of people. What are some of the biggest challenges in managing humans? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> there's, there's so many to list in, in, in such, such a short space of time, but you're, you're right. It's a uh, any business, no matter what the business is, in my opinion, whether you're in manufacturing, whether you're in the service game like myself, which is obviously um, very, very uh, people dependent, or whether you're a software as a service firm, I still consider all firms and businesses to be people businesses because businesses are typically um, B2B relationships and the success of those relationships are quite frankly, built upon relationships between individuals, not based on the black and white context of a contract. Um, And the same goes internally within a firm. I I think the success of a firm is a lot to do with the stability of the staff um, and the retention of that staff. And the the two go hand in hand. If you can, if you can, if you can create meaningful work for people whilst furthering their career and creating, um, uh, creating quite frankly, a place of work that people want to come, want to come to every day. um, It's hard. And funny enough, around about year five, we started to get into this quite seriously um, because every firm goes through a crossroads. And uh, again, I, I've really only, I'm still becoming a leader now, really after only eight and a half years. And I must, I must thank those that, that own the company that, that, that afforded me the opportunity to ultimately launch the UK and um, 
some years ago, the Asia Pacific business, they really afforded me such autonomy to do so based on not just my skills and, and those around me, but the understanding of uh, the regional requirements that I felt so empowered to do that. Um, results followed, and because results followed, more trust um, was was uh, was afforded to me. Um, and therefore more accountability. And I really, really, as we, as we reached different crossroads and we added more management layers and tiers and lines of business to those regional operations, really gave the same level of empowerment to, to those members of staff. Because I think one of the biggest challenges you have um, as, as you do grow and as you do scale and the fact that you are dealing with people is when you um, when you have a very good member of staff, for example, at operative level, that quite rightly finds himself being promoted into a position of power, well, that comes with a whole new set of problems and challenges because whilst that person has done very, very well at operative level, um, they have almost no management experience and the, the, the roles completely shift because all of a sudden that individual or group of individuals at, at, at the new management tier they need to start thinking more towards a strategic agenda versus a tactical agenda. And they need to start thinking around, um, they need to start focusing their time based on outcomes and not discussions. And all of these things, again, I was completely naive to eight, eight and a bit years ago. I think I'm quite good at them now. And it's really a case of nurturing talent, um, empowering that talent and, and really coaching them, um, I think, through the, the life cycles of a business that goes, certainly a small to medium business that goes through many, many different forms of transition in a very short space of time. And actually at that, that point, I think the role of a coach, whether that is internal, um, if, if you're fortunate enough to have, a, have, a, um, have an individual within the firm that you work for that you do see as a mentor, and if you don't, to try and find that from external sources, Again, because we're a people business, we don't all know the answer. You'll always go far further as a team as you will as an individual. And so, even myself, you have to ask for help. If you if you if you if you don't know, um, you should ask help. And part of that empowerment is that when people fail, um, you should promote that. You shouldn't punish them. Um, the failing is not to learn from it. And all of those things and. I'm sure many things that we've never come across, uh, which uh, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly experience over the next eight and a half years, completely make it a people business. Um, very much not a numbers business. It, it is a people business. I think you're absolutely right uh, with saying that leaders are constantly evolving or else they, they cannot lead. Um, and unfortunately, one thing that we cannot do is we have run out of time. But before I let you go, uh, what does the next 12 months have in store for Edge Technology Group? Um, we have, I mean, we're 13 years old now as a global firm and working in the tech space for financial services customers, we're probably working in the sectors that evolve the fastest beyond any others. And so keeping kind of an arm around that is always a challenge, but 13 years old is still relatively young as, as a, as a global firm. And so it's really more of the same. We, we've spent a lot of time over the last 12 months building out a global unified operation as opposed to three separate entities across the US, Asia, and the UK. So we've really, really spent a lot of time globalizing the firm into a very slick, very unified service model offering. Um, 
the idea really now is to double down on strength through people and expertise to really add value back to the community because technology broadly has been so commoditized. We're looking to bring people in with the professional experience that can really add value around the technology so they can integrate it into those funds. And so continued growth across the board. Um, in line with our vision to, 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 to be the best value-add consultancy um, in the world for the financial services space. Well, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and we have to have you back on the show very soon so we can delve further into these topics. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, and uh, hopefully I didn't, I didn't waffle on for too long. It felt like we could, have, <laughs> we could have spoken for much, much longer. Of course, and we will. Uh, Tom, thank you. That thank was- you, Matthew. That was Tom Willard, Managing Director and Head of Europe for Edge Technology Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become 
your friends, who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, mm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the. Uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess w- would be the captain Bob Moore although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62 four years before the final when I played and so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff and I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time And is there do you think uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens but is there a specific moment if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that 
did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply. Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i, I think and i don't uh, not for me not for a second i think mm. i was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. 
And the, 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 I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. 
surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at that, so many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days 
every year uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on with all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.